Days ago, California lawmakers passed a bill, AB5. It would force more companies to treat more workers as employees, not contractors. So what's the big deal? Well, the gig economy. Whether it's Uber and Lyft, or Postmates and DoorDash, or TaskRabbit and Instacart, a slew of companies have grown up in the smartphone era with this radical idea. When just about everyone has a smartphone and a credit card, you can assemble a workforce in a moment's notice, pay workers electronically, and let them be independent contractors, not necessarily employees. They can work as much or as little as they want. But just because employers can do this doesn't mean they should, and that's what we're going to debate today. Welcome to Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. I'm John Fort from CNBC here at the NASDAQ market site overlooking Times Square. With me this week, two professionals who have driven for Uber and Lyft and have different opinions about just what should happen here. Kareem Bayoumi is out of L.A. He says drivers like him, he's driven five to six days a week for the platforms, deserve the protections of employee status and that the companies can't be trusted to provide that without a law. Harry Campbell is a former part-time Uber and Lyft driver who's now known as the rideshare guy. He's got a blog that focuses on the driver community, a YouTube channel, a couple of podcasts. He says forcing companies to treat drivers as employees is the wrong way to go. Great to have both of you. I want to dive right in. Kareem, first of all, bring me up to speed. How did you start driving? How often have you been driving? What's your situation right now? Well, I've been driving for about four years now. Um, I started driving because I was uh, transitioning between work and uh, I was starting a new family and I was actually looking forward to having the flexibility of uh, being able to work and uh, spend as much time as possible with my family. And uh, shortly after, I was expecting a new baby and uh, I needed even more flexibility and more time to be able to spend with the family. So that was originally why I started driving and uh, how I got into driving. So, I mean, if, if you're driving five to six days a week, I mean, maybe that's flexibility based on hours. It sounds like you're driving a lot. Did it work out the way you planned? You know, honestly, uh, in the beginning, it wasn't as bad as it is right now. Um, the driving experience has been getting worse and worse over the past four years. Um, I would say the flexibility is not much of a flexibility now, um, being that myself and other drivers are driving about 40, 50, 60, some are even driving 70 hours a week, mm. uh, which when you're putting that many hours, you don't really have much flexibility. I mean, you may decide when you want to drive 10 or 12 hours a day uh, or when you want to take a day off, but you're still, you know, putting in a lot of hours and, and it's not really much of a flexibility issue now. All right, Harry, uh, you drove part-time for about a year, am I right? Yes, that's right. And your circumstances were different. Tell me about when you started driving, what you were transitioning out of, and uh, how you're a part of this sort of driver economy now. Sure, yeah. So basically, I started driving for Uber and Lyft about four or five years ago, and it was in a part-time fashion. And, uh, you know, four or five years is a long time in rideshare years. Most people don't make it that long. But uh, pretty quickly, I sort of realized that a lot of what Kareem was saying, you know, drivers, it's not as easy as it may look on the surface, and there's definitely some issues and challenges. And so I started writing about that on my blog, the rideshare guy, sort of what it was like to be a driver and how you could make more money and strategies and tips and really just kind of covering the industry. So for the past four years, I've been doing that full-time on the blog, and we've got a couple podcasts and a YouTube channel, but it's all around sort of educating drivers and really helping them maximize their time and their money on the road. Uh, Harry, it's, it seems to me there's a clear difference here between whether you're driving as a side hustle versus 
trying to make this a full-time job. I mean, am I right? You're, you're studying this, you're in touch with a bunch of drivers, you're making these resources. Is there a clear distinction here between how this works for you depending on how much you're trying to make? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think that, you know, people often ask me, what is the typical Uber or Lyft driver look like? And I don't really have a good answer for them because there is a lot of variability and they do come from all walks of life. But one thing we have seen is that between part-time and full-time drivers, they definitely value different things. I think a lot of the uh, items that Kareem mentioned are definitely valid. And frankly, someone who is working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, the job does become a lot tougher. You do have a lot less flexibility than someone who's doing it 10 or 20 hours a week, maybe gets health care from somewhere else, gets their insurance from somewhere else, and you know has these other benefits. So I think that that's where some of the, you know, you might want to call it the lines have been drawn, but but you know, at the end of the day, I do think that there is more that part-time and full-time drivers have in common than you might think. All right, now Kareem, my impression is that Uber and Lyft are really trying to get uh, more drivers to do what it is that you've been trying to do, that they have these incentives to get people to drive longer, uh, to, to get people to drive more often. Uh, you know, I hear complaints from them uh, about how often drivers turn over and leave the platform. They'd like people to stay. So uh, tell me your perspective on how much they're trying to get people to drive and whether that lines up with their desire not to have uh, the drivers be employees. Well, I mean, right now, the system is definitely designed to keep you on the road for as long as possible. Um, even sometimes people would say that, you know, as they're, you know, looking to log off or, or go home, uh, they would end up getting a, a long trip or a long request, or they're always kind of being fed a little something <laughs> to, um, to stay on the platform longer. Uh, now, the reason there's a high turnover right now, uh, especially right now, is because the pay is so bad and and a lot of people will try this out and see that it's not worth it and you know that they're pretty much driving for pennies right now and, and they will decide you know this is not worth my time I, I don't want to do this and, and you know they stop doing it I mean some will last a week two weeks a month it depends on their situation so tell um, me, how, right now how, how sure. should this work though how, how should it work because it's your car right you're paying for gas you're paying tolls, you're paying maintenance. If you're an employee, what's the right kind of deal that these companies should be giving you? Well, you should be reimbursed for your, your time, uh, the cost and, and the expenses that you're, um, that you're paying uh, to, to operate this business. Um, because right now, I mean, if you think about the pay right now, it, it doesn't even add up to your time and your labor plus your expenses. Um, and for Uber and Lyft, it's not, right now it's not costing them anything to have a driver sitting in his car online waiting to take a call at any given moment, um, which is not fair for the drivers because you're investing your time, you're out somewhere. I mean, I'm pretty sure every driver could think of something better to do than to sit outside uh, on the street at like 3, 4 a.m. waiting for a call. Um, I mean, there's so many other things that are more beneficial and, and more rewarding than that. Um, but because it's not costing Uber and Lyft anything for, for that driver to sit there and wait for that call, um, it, sure, why not? And that's why they keep adding more and more drivers every day. Uh, it's not costing them anything extra unless they're doing some work, uh, which is not fair to the drivers. So that's why there has to be a cap and, and drivers have to be compensated for their time and their expenses on top of that. 
Um, and and that's, that way you're still going to have drivers on the road available to do the work that needs to be done whenever it needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there's going to be more opportunities for the drivers that are there doing this full time. Harry, sounds reasonable to me. What's the matter with that? Yeah, no, I think that exactly what Kareem is describing is what a lot of drivers care about. I mean, a lot of drivers, you know, their number one reason for doing this is to make money. Um, and, you know, they want to go out there. And I think the number one complaint, too, from driving for both Uber and Lyft is that they don't make enough money. I think right behind that in, in a close second, though, is the flexibility. And I think that's where you start to see that for the drivers who are doing it full time, they just value, you know, after the pay, they value benefits, they value unemployment, uh, they value disability insurance differently than someone who's doing it part-time and I think when you look at the numbers you know that's sort of where it gets a little tricky because a majority of drivers are out there they are doing 10 or 20 hours a week or less and even though they may not be the most important drivers to Uber and Lyft I think it is just understanding that in a full employee model there's definitely gonna be winners and losers and I think that you know it's fair to say that the ones doing 40 50 60 hours a week are probably gonna be the winners and the ones that are you know more part-time there's potential that they could um, you know be the losers and so but I think just but what Kareem is saying it sounds like is that it's the other way around right now where the people who are driving the most are getting the worst deal right which isn't yeah. I mean I'm, it's not the way that ideally if you're the company you would want this to work so should there be a two-tier system where hey if you're willing to put in the hours if you're willing to put in the time if you're willing to drive in uh, maybe higher demand uh, areas where, where the companies know that they can probably get rides mm -hmm. during a set block of time, you're an employee and you get the benefits that go along with that, but you don't get the flexibility to decide when you're gonna work. You, you work when they say they need you. And then if you're one of those part-time workers, you take what's left over and you know you check your phone and, and, and when there's a ride that shows up that the full-timers can't take, you're on it. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times, and I think that's sort of what you're describing is kind of exactly what I push for. I mean, there are a number of businesses out there that already use a mix of employees and contractors, and I think drivers like Kareem should have, you know, more rights, and they should have better pay and, you know, more, I guess you would say, consistency with their schedule and their earnings, because they are putting in so much more time than someone like me who might go in there, you know, take a week off, go in there occasionally. And I think that, you know, that kind of understanding that balance right now for the drivers who are, you know, whether you're full-time or part-time, you don't have the ability to set your own rates like a true independent contractor might. You don't have a lot of say in who you get to pick up or where they're going or really any say in anything like that. Now, Kareem, a lot of people might not get this because unemployment is as low as it's been in kind of the modern era. The job market's supposed to be so tight. The way you describe the situation, trying to drive for Uber and Lyft full-time or more than full-time, sounds so bad. Why are people still doing it? What keeps you uh, doing that versus something else? Well, for, for a lot of people, um, I, I think mostly people that have been doing this for a while, they have experienced some good days and, and they've seen that good days can pay off. Um, nowadays, there's not that many good days, but you're always kind of chasing that ideal perfect day where you get that really good ride, uh, you make good money, and you go home a little bit early. Uh, there, there's always something, you had a good experience in the past, and you're always thinking that that could happen again. Uh, you may have to go through five or six bad days to get another one good day, but there, it's almost like that carrot that you're continuously chasing. Um, so I, I think for the most part, um, it, it's, it's drivers that have had good experiences in the past that are still 
hopeful that they may have that again and they're looking forward to that one more good day. Um, I mean, for, for other people, you know, they have their own reasons, uh, whether it's, you know, they're on disability, uh, they don't want to have a regular job. Um, there, there's different situations and people have different issues that, you know, they want to keep this job and it's working out for them. Uh, even, even if it's not the best fit or it's not the most rewarding right now, uh, but there, there's going to be some kind of reason that it's working out for them. Now, I, I have just heard that California Governor Gavin Newsom has signed AB5 into law. Uber and Lyft uh, have both, as well as other companies, have been trying to push for exemptions here. This affects not just ride-hailing, ride-sharing companies, also Postmates, DoorDash, uh, companies that are trying to do uh, food delivery. Um, Harry, the companies have tried to put forth a deal, a bargain to not be specifically forced under AB5, at least as, as far as the way legislators intend it, to classify these part-time employees as full-time. But do, do you think that's going to work based on uh, what you're seeing in the driver community, that portion of it that does value the protections over the flexibility? Yeah, you know, I think one of the sort of interesting things I've noticed from even from talking to the drivers who are scared about AB5 passing and drivers becoming employees and then potentially losing flexibility is that a lot of drivers, you know, whether they've been sort of for or against AB5 in the past, don't really trust Uber and Lyft. They don't feel, you know, it's ironic that Uber always calls their drivers driver partners, but a lot of drivers, you know, really don't feel that it's a partnership. And so I think that those drivers who kind of are in that position are, you know, even though they're worried about AB5 passing, they're not necessarily on Uber and Lyft side either. So I think that these arguments that the companies are now bringing out, uh, you know, I don't think that they hold a lot of water, but I do think that they are so determined not to let this happen. We're in for a pretty big and long legal battle. And one of the worries that I have is that drivers could basically get nothing for, you know, maybe years at a time uh, out of this whole situation if it just goes to the courts indefinitely. Karima, Uber made an argument days ago, or at least sort of telegraphed an argument, said the argument could be made that actually the drivers and what they do is not central to Uber's business. After all, they're more of a dispatch platform uh, that can be used for lots of different purposes versus specifically, you know, driving a, a person from A to B. What did you think of that? I, I honestly think that's the funniest argument possible you, you could put out there. I mean, uh, I, I totally agree with Harry that, you know, um, Drivers have absolutely no trust in Uber and Lyft, and that is because the lies they consistently try to feed to them. Uh, they will do one thing and try to convince you that they're looking out for your interest when it's, you know, it's obvious what their intentions are. Um, you know, it, it, it's, Uber has become a verb now. When everybody says, when somebody says, I'm going to take an Uber or I'm Ubering to this place, um, it does not mean... I'm calling a platform or does, it means you're in a car, you're getting a ride somewhere. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, it's, it's a common understanding now. I mean, I think a three-year-old could tell the difference uh, between an Uber and like a dispatch platform. Um, it's pretty obvious what they're doing here. Now, Kareem, I completely hear what you're saying. As a matter of fact, I said almost that exact same thing on CNBC last week when we first heard this from Uber. But then at the same time, I saw this note from RBC. They've got analysts who follow 
Uber and Lyft, and they did a survey, and according to this survey, the way drivers feel about Uber and Lyft, whether they're uh, very satisfied or extremely satisfied with the platform, it was at 69 and 70%, which it's a little bit apples and oranges, but it's comparable to how consumers feel about Netflix. I don't get, that doesn't line up. I feel like if we're talking to people who subscribe to Netflix, they're not saying Netflix doesn't care about me. They're saying, I love Stranger Things. What, did, the, did the survey get it wrong somehow, you think? Or is there something behind these numbers that I'm not getting? What was, I mean, I'm sorry, was this survey for drivers or for Yeah, consumers? it was a driver survey. More than 500 drivers uh, in North America, in the U.S. specifically, they said. And that high percentage, 69 and 70%, said that they were uh, highly satisfied with their experience on Uber and Lyft. You know, I personally know a lot of drivers, and I talk to many, many drivers on a daily basis, and this survey cannot be accurate. The only reason I, I could think of um, and this is kind of a little bit of a common thing, is that some drivers are actually scared to express their true feelings when it comes to these surveys that Uber run on the app uh, on a regular basis. And they're kind of a little bit scared that, you know, they might say something bad about Uber and Uber would deactivate them. Hmm. So uh, that, that's one of the things that, you know, uh, that I, I could think of, of, of how a result like this will come out because I'm pretty sure... Uh, a bigger part of the result would be dissatisfied or people that didn't even take the survey. Harry, what, what about it? Is it possible that a lot of the people who took the survey, and, and the numbers did show this, haven't been on the platform very long, or maybe they are you know, part-timers yeah. who have another full-time gig or doing this as a side hustle, and it's doing what they need it to do, but maybe that 30% that isn't highly satisfied, those are the people who are really trying to make money at this platform. Well, what are you finding? Because you're like yeah. the, the central guy in the driver community putting out information. If everybody hated it, nobody would be listening to you, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely have to dig into the methodology on that survey because we run an annual survey uh, of over a thousand drivers every single year. And I think that, you know, I could, I could double check the numbers, but we typically find almost the reverse. You know, I would have to say that more drivers are dissatisfied. Um, but, but, I, but I could double check on that. I mean, I think you're, you're definitely on to something there, though, John, with the fact that, you know, what I call it uh, in my book, I, I, I refer to it as a honeymoon period. When <laughs> people are getting signed up to drive with Uber and Lyft, they're getting paid, they're having fun, they're talking to people. The first three months are kind of fun. And so definitely it matters when you are talking to drivers and the types of drivers you're talking to, whether they're part-time versus full-time, because I think as these things start to add up, as you start to put a lot of miles on your car, as right. you start to get, you know, maybe have a negative experience here with their customer support or have to go into one of their support hubs and talk to one of their agents to resolve, you know, a false claim of, you know, deactivation or something like that, you start to realize that there are definitely some downsides. And that's one of the issues that Uber and Lyft have right now. Uh, last year, we saw a stat that over two-thirds of their drivers are quitting after six months. So they're definitely are some retention problems and some issues, and I think that's what's kind of spurring a lot of these discussions we're Harry, having right now. Harry, I'm glad you brought that up because I always wondered about that. It seems to me, like at first, you know, you get on the platform, it seems great. Every dollar you get seems mm -hmm. to be profit to you, but then after a few times you got to fill up the tank, after it goes beyond oil changes, maybe you figure out wear and tear is, is costing you more on your car sooner than you expected. Suddenly that profit's getting erased later, 
do people's feelings actually change? And so as you say more about that, tell me about these plans that Uber and Lyft, Uber in particular, trying to push around leasing cars yeah. and, and, and renting cars and that allowing you to drive. Uh, are are long-term drivers even able to really, you think, take advantage of those programs and make money? Yeah, and I think, John, this is where it gets honestly so complicated. It's funny because when you look at driving for Uber or Lyft, it seems so simple on the surface, but it can become pretty complex very quickly. And this is one thing we see that there's just a lot of variability, not only on the income and earning side, depending on where you drive and when you drive and how much you drive, but also on the expense side, right? Drivers are independent contractors for now, at least. Um, <laughs> that may change shortly. But uh, so that means that they're also responsible for all of their expenses, gas, maintenance, even depreciation. And to figure out, you know, how much your car is losing in depreciation for every mile that you drive is a pretty complex calculation. And frankly, most people and most drivers are not really qualified to make it. So it ends up that you have a lot of people, you know, they come up with a $500 brake job that they weren't expecting and they don't have the money for it. So there's definitely some issues on the expense side and kind of really just understanding not only your profit and your loss. Uber and Lyft have come forth with a couple programs. Uber has partnered with a company called Fair here in Los Angeles mm -hmm. that provides flexible weekly rentals to drivers and the cost is $195 a week. One of the nice things about that is that it seems a little expensive at the start, but it actually includes unlimited mileage. You can return it at any time. So what I like about some of these programs is for the drivers who aren't maybe that savvy or who aren't thinking about their expenses and are putting 1,000 or 1,500 miles a week on their car driving, they at least know upfront, okay, I made $800 this week, I spent $112 in gas, and I spent $195 on my rental. Here's exactly what my profits were. Because for a lot of other drivers, it's just unknown, really. Kareem, it, it, it seems to me like part of what Uber and Lyft are saying is that uh, flexibility is important, the drivers are important to us, and we're not directing the drivers on exactly what they need to do and where they need to go. And yet, they've created these algorithms, and the algorithms tell you what you need to do, where you need to go, right, in order to make money. So is part of this just that the law has not kept up with the modern times. I mean, yes, technically maybe the employee isn't, uh, the employer isn't directing you, but the algorithm is. And so what does that actually mean and, and how much is the government supposed to protect a worker when the algorithm's the boss? Well, I mean, th there should be some kind of labor standards uh, in, in, in this country. I mean, we're, we're living in a, in a civilized country where uh, there has days. been labor, labor, yeah, <laughs> labor movements in the past, and, and you know people have fought uh, for these uh, labor rights and, and these movements, and uh, we should uphold, uphold these. Um, now, now whether the, the company tries to control you or not, I mean, if, if somebody tries to drive and they see what the incentives are and where they're pushing you, I mean, you're pretty much restricted to a certain area because. This area is where you're going to get a bonus or where you're going to get an incentive. So, I mm -hmm. mean, if you want to make money, that's where you want to drive. Otherwise, you're going to be missing out on all these chances if you're driving in a, in a completely different area. I mean, they, they tell you what times these incentives are going to be. Right. I mean... That's what I'm getting at. I guess they so they're not saying, we're not saying you have to go there. But if you want to make any money, you'll be here <laughs> at this particular time on this day. 
Exactly. I mean, there's some kind of manipulation here, uh, you know, if, if you're out there to, to drive for money. If you're out there to drive for fun, you just want to get strangers in your car and take them wherever they want to go, and you're barely making your cost, <laughs> then sure, go ahead. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, I'm not controlling you, but the system is controlling you. Well, who made the system? Um, um, you know. That, that makes a lot of sense, Curry. Harry, I'll give you the final word. How does this end up? The, the companies Uber and Lyft are not making money. They're not profitable now. Either they got to raise prices, which is going to affect demand, or I don't know. How is this going to work out? Is it going to work out so that they're making money and drivers are happier? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that what we're sort of starting to see is that Uber and Lyft are both definitely looking towards profitability. They're a ways away, and they may be, you know, very well already increasing prices on riders. And I think that up until this point, uh, riders have gotten a very good deal. They, you know, haven't had to really pay the true cost of what it is to take a ride. Uber and Lyft, a lot of the early investors have made money, and I do think that the drivers have sort of gotten the short end of the stick. So ultimately, at the end of the day, with, you know, a legislation like AB5 that really puts pressure whether all drivers end up becoming employees or not or there's some type of compromise I do think it is going to move things uh, forward for drivers everywhere all right that's a great place to leave it hey a lot of great perspective that I hadn't heard before Kareem thank you Harry thank you and that'll do it for thank Fort you. Knox this week see you next week I'm John Fort from CNBC and this has been Fort Knox rich ideas and powerful people Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox series on LinkedIn. That's brand new and a great way to keep up with the trends I'm seeing both on this Fort Knox show and in my other work on CNBC. That's also the absolute best way to be in touch with me. Leave a comment on the series. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. Matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of these conversations. Or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured area. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.